Welcome to Hundreds of Ways, the podcast that celebrates entrepreneurship and career independence. This week, I'm interviewing my infinitely more charming co-host, Elliot Raymond, as he shares the story of how he travels the globe while running a digital marketing agency. So join us as we explore which of the hundreds of ways belongs to him. Hey, James. Good evening. Hey, Elliot. How are you doing? Doing really well. Uh, Another day, another beautiful (laughs) LA day. How are you? I'm doing great. I am another day in the new normal, as we like to call it. <laughs> oh, what a time. What a time. <laughs> so, so today's episode is our third official episode, um, number two by count, since we had the first one we called zero, which is a programming thing. So if you're not a programmer, then, then you're not used to counting by zero. But for those of you who are, uh, this is episode two, which means it's the third episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, today we're going to finish you up lost our... Me there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a great program. There's anyone who's a programmer is laughing right now. So I, I promise they're laughing real hard. Right, um, right, right, <laughs> real, real hard. Sure. But right, right, please. Um, today we are finishing up our kind of our introduction episodes. And uh, last week we had Elliot interview interview me about about the stuff that I do. And today we're going to flip that around, and I'm going to be interviewing Elliot. So, to, in the effort of uh, jumping right in, Elliot, I'm going to ask you the the cursed question. What do you do? Oh, no. <laughs> what do I do? Um, well, that's a great question to kick things off with because it's my least favorite question, so we can get <laughs> it out of the way. Um, but I run a digital agency and content studio, and we help brands grow, typically funded startups or all the way up to enterprise brands through uh, digital advertising. So primarily uh, social media advertising and search advertising, and then also creating the content to go along with that. Um, And the story of how I got there is kind of interesting. I know we'll dive into that later, but my background actually is a majority in film and television. And in the last couple of years, I've transitioned over into the more short form kind of advertising space. So that's what I do. Um, it's a company uh, that I've been running for about two years now, just under two years. And it is, we're all remote. So all of the contractors that I work with are spread out around the world, everywhere from Europe to Asia, Australia. And uh, it's been a really interesting journey, kind of learning how to build and manage a team like that. So excited to dive into it. So I want to back up a little bit to you were talking about uh, the, the kind of work you do. You said branding and, and digital advertising. Can you go into a little more detail into what kind of what, what sorts of projects you do, how, what the projects look like, that kind of thing? Yeah, so we actually don't do branding in a traditional sense. I would say we take a company's established brand and then build upon that by relaying the messages to their consumers or whomever their customers are. Uh, And we do that through social and digital advertising. So a company would come to us with a certain marketing goal saying we want to uh, either sell this product or grow the brand through an awareness play or whatever it might be. And then uh, we would build out a campaign with creative assets and a digital strategy associated with it to um, achieve that goal. So, so real quick, I want to. There's a, a little bit. I just want to clarify when you're saying digital. I'm uh, sorry, creative assets was the term you used. So in this case, a digital asset uh, for me is a short form video or piece of kind of 
interactive media, whether that's like a clickable ad or something like that, that's meant to grab your attention and drive you to a product's website or have you learn more about that product, educate you, entertain you in some way to grow your awareness of that brand or have you buy that product or service. So you mentioned just a second ago that, that you started off in film and video. Um, and now in a way you're, you're still doing film and video, it's just a different focus. What was that transition like? Yeah, so I got really lucky when uh, early on when I was back in college, uh, even before that in high school, not to drag this way back, but uh, I got super lucky at the age of 16 to convince a experiential school outside of the U.S. based in Costa Rica to hire me. And I was, I think, their high, youngest ever um, employee. I was 16 at the time. I moved to Costa Rica and uh, got a job there and producing videos for their advertising marketing team. And uh, after that, just kind of fell in love with the medium and the creativity that came along with telling stories about um, different subjects. And that's kind of where it kicked off my interest in film and TV. I ended up going to school for film and television production and getting one of my first jobs out in Hollywood uh, working on a Batman movie, Batman versus Superman, uh, doing editing, doing posts. And it was great. Fantastic introduction into the world of Hollywood. Uh, really neat to land that job kind of right out the gates while still in college. But I realized that if you're not in love with the project you're working on when you're working on a film, you're stuck on that project for one, two, three years. And oftentimes in Hollywood, when you're working in a freelance capacity, which most creatives are, uh, you're having to hustle for that next job and you're always just taking the next job as it comes in. But then you're stuck on it for years at a time sometimes. And so a couple of years later, while still in school, I was introduced to the world of uh, digital advertising and marketing, especially just generally the world of advertising, and learned that you could be moving through creative projects, you know, monthly or even weekly, where you're scripting, doing pre-production, and then moving into production and post, and then flighting that content uh, over the course of several months. And then with digital, it's even faster. It can be over the course of weeks, making changes on a weekly or daily basis because of the feedback that you get. And so I just really fell in love with the evolving nature and the like really fast-paced landscape of digital because you're always interacting with something new. There's always new information. The platforms are always changing. Best practices are changing. And that's really because consumer habits are changing. Um, and so you're having to learn constantly. And there's always something new to be um, understood or kind of to test out or whatever it might be. So that's kind of, that was my transition from, <laughs> to make a long story short, from film and TV into advertising. Well, it's a great story too, because it's almost like you're back home, right? You, you started off in digital advertising right? way back at 16, and then yep. you made this foray into film and video, and, or for, sorry, film and, and, and television, and then you came back. Um, so I love that. And I remember back then it wasn't even, you couldn't even do paid ads uh, on social. It was just putting sure. out, you know, social media videos. We'd get a big hit and one would have tens of thousands of views. And then, you know, the algorithm was just so different then. And that just goes to show things evolve so rapidly because those platforms are all pay to play now. And to get that kind of engagement for a brand, it's you're paying to, to reach those consumers. So really yeah, interesting the, the time. The world of social media is so much different now, uh, and you just touched on that with you know talking about 
these different platforms and, and the change in consumer behaviors. What is it like working in an industry where the, where the ground is always moving out from under you? Well, I think a good example of that is so Facebook 10 years ago was you could throw something on there and have the whole world see it. Not actually, but you could have the entire platform see it. I mean, things would go viral so easily. And uh, that's where kind of people always talk about going viral, the, co- the concept of virality. It's much harder to attain on those platforms now. But the, say we're recording this summer 2020, I'd say that's where TikTok is right now. And that's a whole new platform um, owned by ByteDance in China, just getting into uh, that same concept. It's super early stages, still in its adoptive phase. People are still getting on it, and they're allowing people to have that. They're allowing the algorithm to have get people access to those wide audiences on an organic standpoint. Organic meaning free, not paid for. Um, but they're starting to do the same thing, introduce ads, build their uh, revenue model similarly to the other platforms, and soon enough it's going to be the same pay-to-play. So that's when I talk about the space evolving so rapidly, that's over the course of a year that that's been changing so dramatically, and we've seen so much growth of that platform, but also then starting to slow as they introduce their paid model. So always important to be on top of kind of how that's all working and uh, the industry. Something that you touched on earlier was was that that love of storytelling, and that's actually one of the reasons why you and I got along in the first place, and why we're doing this this podcast is both of us have the shared love uh, for storytelling, um, and and the work that you do is so fascinating because you are uh, the the stories that you tell are bound by the medium, um, and so yeah, could you talk a little bit about how, let's say I have um, I don't know a company that. Uh, let's say I'm an apartment complex, um, something that everyone's familiar with. Uh, how would you tell my story differently on Instagram versus on TikTok? Maybe I don't know. I don't know if the TikTok market's going to be interested in my apartment <laughs> complex, my senior living uh, complex. <laughs> I don't know. Once we see senior living doing advertising on TikTok, I'm going to assume there's going to be another platform where the Gen Z's are moving to, but... You and uh, I will probably be in senior living at that point. (laughs) Actually, maybe not. Hopefully not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, So I think a better kind of example to give, it would be that tying, you know, comparing a, a traditional commercial, which I would consider traditional advertising, to digital. And with a commercial, you have these gatekeepers, you have the networks, and you have, everyone knows NBC, ABC, and the big primetime shows that they run, and then they sell advertising around those shows. And typically, a really high level of how that works is you have to buy into a certain package. And that means a commitment of several million dollars up front to buy advertising space around that show. And then beyond that, a company will go produce a multi-million dollar 30-second commercial, 15-second spot to run for that audience. And then they get back to you and they say, all right, so we had 14.1 million people watching that show that evening. So 14.1 million people saw your ad. Great doing business with you. Whereas when you're working in a digital platform, uh, you're able to, instead of go out and produce a multi-million dollar ad, you can produce a $10,000 ad or a $10 ad that you shot on your iPhone, and you can target audiences based on the type of product that you're selling. So you can 
target if I am selling an apartment complex, I can target people specifically in Los Angeles instead of broadcasting it nationwide. And then I can, apartment complex is kind of difficult actually because of laws around who, what you're allowed to do with targeting, but say it's just a typical product with, uh, selling bread sitting here eating my breakfast so (laughs) selling some toast Um, I can target people who have been shopping on Amazon for groceries before and are familiar with e-commerce grocery shopping Uh, I can target people who have purchased certain types of bread by uploading customer lists there are all sorts of ways to do it and then your ad is being delivered to people specifically uh, who are interested in your product more or less and to take it a step further, I don't want to bore people too much, but... Um, <laughs> no, it's interesting. It's interesting. You're, instead of watching a 30-second ad, the attention span on social is much different. They're the, same, sure. they're the same platform in the sense that people go to TV for entertainment, and they often go to social media for entertainment. And the thing is, you're moving much faster through social media. Instead of sitting down for a 30-second show or 30-minute show, you're watching five- to seven-second videos and photos. So the story arc is compressed much more from a 30-second commercial to having three seconds to grab people's attention and tell them why they should watch that advertisement and what the value is going to be for them. And so there are all sorts of things you're playing around with in terms of not having any sound, designing for a sound-off environment, the typography, crops, kind of duration, story arcs. Um, And finally, if you haven't stopped listening by now because you're completely bored, Um, There's a lot of opportunity for experimentation. You can spend, instead of a million dollars on an ad buy on CNN, you can spend $20 testing against an audience of a thousand people. And then depending on how they react, if they're engaging with the ad or buying your product, uh, you can know whether or not something's working and kind of move on from there and iterate on what you're doing. And so, that's actually a project that James and I have been working on in the last couple of months, but we'll delve into that another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, one of the things you mentioned was like the cropping and, um, I have not done a ton of digital advertising work until you and I have been working on stuff together. And, um, it's, it's interesting just seeing, you know, how you're limited in and what you can show visually between a, a, an Instagram story, which is this big kind of portrait shape and, and uh, Instagram, actual ad on the on the feed which is a square and then you know on on the web you've got more horizontal formats and then and that changes the the story that you're telling and i i think that's super super neat yeah i think that's one of the things i work with my clients a lot on is they assume great so we have this 30 second commercial we just ran it on 10 broadcast networks and we now want to slap it on social media and it doesn't work because right, right, your story right. arc is so different. You're running a, a, a horizontal advertisement in a vertical platform. And so the brain is immediately going to identify that as an ad instead of something that they want to engage with. As I say, every ad needs to either entertain or educate. And so uh, there's just so many things that you need to take into consideration that are different in this digital world than in uh, the world of standard creative and traditional advertising. So I definitely want to spend time talking about your not work life, but before we before we change gears, I just want to real quick uh, let's go back to those clients that you work with. So you mentioned that you work with funded startups and larger brands. Can you talk a little bit about the the types of people that you work with? Sure, uh, I think kind of one of the main 
things that people will come to us for is growth. So whether or not that's selling a product or they're a new brand or company entering the market and they need to drive awareness of their offering. So <clears throat> for example, we, from the smaller side, uh, kind of on the funded startup side, there was a company last year that was selling security systems and they came to us, they're a brand new player in the market, trying to compete against some of the larger brands out there. Amazon owns one of the biggest in the world, uh, Google as well. And they were a lower cost option breaking into uh, the US market. And so we came up with a strategy for them to develop creative assets on uh, kind of iterative scale that was able to communicate their brand message and who they were and why they were uh, kind of a, a valid competitor to some of these larger brands, even though most people had never heard of them. And then on the enterprise side, scaling all the way up to a company like McDonald's that has kind of global awareness, we've worked with them on a campaign to introduce a brand new uh, menu offering last fall. And that was broadcast across the US and uh, to do with their holiday offerings. And so oftentimes it'll be specific target markets or uh, groups of people that a brand wants to introduce their service or product to, whether or not that's shampoo or health devices or plane tickets, whatever it might be. Uh, those are kind of strategies and creative concepts that we develop for brands. So McDonald's is, is, a, is a big name client, right? I mean, that's, that's, like, that's like a holy grail of a, of a marketing client. How do you get clients like that? Client acquisition is a tricky thing when it comes to running your own business, and it's not uh, easy. I think it's a little bit chicken in the egg because in order to have, in order to pitch new clients, you really need a strong portfolio, especially for a larger brand like that. Um, and in order to get a strong portfolio, you need to work with some great clients. <laughs> and so people often <laughs> have a hard time building up that. Uh, that set. So I started out uh, when I launched my company about a year and a half, two years ago, partnering with a lot of agencies uh, and platforms also. So with Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, working with stakeholders internally there, uh, sharing my offering saying, look, we can build these social ads. That's something I'm incredibly well versed in. I've been doing for years and here are a couple examples, but we'd love to work with you. Um, and some of these brands that you've collaborated with. Similar thing with agencies, reaching out to people in agencies saying, hey, I know you guys work with freelancers all the time. Would you be able to trust us with a couple of tests here and there? Um, and so growing those relationships really helped me to build a portfolio. And then over the last year, uh, really began developing my own sales pipeline in the sense that there's a ton of cold emailing, cold calling, and in the last three to four months have begun hiring my own sales team to do cold outreach and kind of outbound sales to a whole variety of different clients within the different kind of verticals that I work in. And so it's definitely been an evolution and things started slow, but that's what you have to remember when you're building your own company is overnight success is a myth. It doesn't happen uh, or it does to very few people. And you really just have to be patient. So when I left my other job, I had a runway of kind of cash that I had with me of uh, knowing I could support myself and pay my rent and pay for groceries for about three or four months and that I was just really going to have to hustle for work. And as I started developing those relationships and that client roster, things just kind of grew from there. So to someone who's listening to this who maybe they wanted to digital advertising or, or a similar field, something on their own. 
um, what would you recommend is, is the, the best thing that they could do today, the quickest thing that they could do? I know you said it takes time and, and patience and that people have to wait, but what if, if someone's listening right now and they say, I want to, starting Monday, I want to leave my job and I want to go be a digital advertiser. Who do they contact? Where do they go? What do they look up? That, what, that kind of stuff. My first recommendation is don't leave your job on Monday. Um, and that's because it takes some planning. Uh, you should leave your job if that's really what you want to do at some point, but there is some planning involved. And so part of the story that I haven't shared is uh, I had been working on a freelance basis at my last job on nights and weekends for probably through four to six months, four or five months uh, before I left. And I had proven to myself that I was able to bring in additional income on the side, and I had grown that to a place of having it be paired with my savings enough to live on for a little while and was confident that I could continue growing it. And so because of that, that was really what gave me, that was the catalyst to allow me to leave, having that side income, also that confidence that I was capable of doing this. So I think... And, and that's something that, that shouldn't be downplayed, right? Um, it, one of the things when you're starting freelancing is um, it's scary and you're going to have imposter syndrome. You're going to have this feeling of, okay, Hugely why am so. I doing this? Um, and I think, yeah, your, your point of the, the runway is there to, yes, support you financially and give you this buffer, but it's also there to, to tell you, hey, you can do this. Um, so I think that's a huge, huge tip. And now the flip side of that is you could theoretically keep working at your job forever and freelancing on the side forever. So there is a point at which you have to take that leap and it's going to be scary and you could fail. But you have to know that and you have to press forward anyway if it's truly what you want to do and you feel is your next right step. So it's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah, so, so one of the pushbacks that I hear sometimes from people uh, when, when they say, well, hey, you know, I really want to go into freelancing. And you go, okay, great. Well, what you should do is find some work on the side while you, you, know, you have this, this day job so that you're not you know, sink or swim. Um, and they go, oh, well, I don't have, I don't have time for that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm too tired. Um, I, I, you know, work so hard. And, and that is true for a lot of people that, you know, life is difficult as it is. You don't need to add in freelancing on the side, um, especially if you've got kids or, or, you know, working two jobs already. Um, or even but, a myriad of different things that are impacting people's lives that I can't even fathom because I haven't had that experience. There's so many individual, unique circumstances that make it really hard. It, absolutely. The thing that, to keep in mind with this is that it's not for forever. Um, this, this, what we're talking about, this, you know, kind of burning the candle at both ends, working your full-time job and then also working your side job um, to, to build that buffer. You don't have to do that forever. I mean, you really only have to do it for a few weeks, honestly. If, 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 if you're making two incomes, it doesn't take that much extra income to build up a little bit of a buffer. Um, and, and there are other things you can do too, right? You know, there, there are ways that you can cut expenses. Obviously, again, that's not for everybody that some people's expenses are very fixed. Um, there's a, a really great, I think it's a blog post, and I'll try to find it, by Amy Hoy, um, who's the founder of Freckle and 30 by 500 and, and a couple other um, startups and SaaS companies and courses and a bunch of other stuff that she does. Um, but she has a concept she calls Buffy time, which is basically she at some point looked back, uh, at, you know, at the last three months of her life and, and said, oh, you know, I, I never have time to get this work done on, on this SaaS product I want to launch. And she looked back at the last three months and she said, well, you know, but I did kind of watch like four seasons of Buffy in that three months. Um, <laughs> and so 
if you're if you're honest with yourself, um, and again, this doesn't apply to everybody. Some some people really are out of time, um, but a lot of people that I talk to that go, I would love to do that. I'm just too busy. Oh, I love to do that. I'm just too tired. If you look at your life, there might be places, there might be things, elements of Buffy time um, that you can eliminate and that you can replace with again just a week, two weeks, three weeks of of extra work and really make a fundamental change in your life. Imagine if you, one of the amazing tools that I've found on both iPhone and Android is the ability to see your screen time and what you're spending your time doing, yeah. broken down by it's app. It can be terrifying at times. <laughs> but log onto there, see how much time you spent on non-essential tasks. And you can define that however you want. If you think that scrolling through your Twitter feed and updating yourself on the world's news is essential, then great. Consider that essential. But take out that time that's non-essential, whether it's watching a Netflix show or scrolling through social media, whatever it may be, and think about what you could accomplish in that time. Think about what yeah. you could accomplish in half that time. I know so many people who spend two, three, four hours a day watching YouTube or Netflix or whatever it may be. And so don't get rid of that entirely, but maybe spend in 60 minutes a day doing outbound, you know, reach outs, cold emails to companies saying, hi, uh, I'd love to do some graphic design for you, or hi, I'd love to do your next voiceover for your commercial, whatever it is. Um, send, send one. Send one a day. Send yeah. five a day. Right. That, that if you send up. one a day, that's 365 a year. And your odds of someone saying yes there are great to have one person say yes. One, I, I want to get back to you and your life, and especially I want to get away from the work stuff. But one, one thing to, to consider, too, with, with the screen time stuff that Elliot's talking about um, I notice a difference in my productivity during the week when I put a blocker on Reddit on my phone. And the only time I'm on Reddit on my phone is if I'm going to the bathroom or if I'm getting a coffee or if I'm, you know, in these kind of transitions, I'm not working anyways. But that distraction, that mental transition, that mental context switch to to consumption versus creation versus doing, you know, the development work and the business work that I need to actually get done to get paid, um, there's a cost to that. And it's something to consider with this stuff that is uh, addictive and, and mentally consuming, the, the social media and, and a lot of the stuff on the internet can be. Um, removing it from your leisure time can even help you uh, find other time that's not your leisure time. So it's, it's just something to consider. And also, I'd argue, uh, funny enough, it's what I do so much work in, but you know, get rid of that and try some other activities, some other, there's so many more stimulating ways to pass your leisure time that I would argue are going to be a lot more beneficial. So, uh, yeah, play around with that. And that doesn't have to be reading business books. It doesn't have to be, uh, reading, you know, articles on, on, on how to, to advertise yourself online. Uh, playing the piano is, is a better use of time than sitting on Facebook, especially if you're arguing with relatives about politics, because that's a <laughs> giant black hole of uh, emotional and intellectual energy. I have, a, I have a friend I was talking to yesterday who just launched a startup that makes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And you think, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Startup? Uh, but he loves it. It's absolutely what he loves to do. He's been doing it on the side for six months, just took it on full time. And, uh, they're looking to take on the world of, um, you know, fast, fast snacks and take on smuckers and whatnot. And he said, yeah, I'm working 12, 14 hour days and I love it. And granted you'll burn out on that. You can't do that forever sure. uh, from my experience, but also if you're spending four hours a day scrolling on Instagram 
try finding something that you love doing and then consider doing that for work. Find a way to right. monetize it, you know, because there's so many things out there that you people love to do. And they say, I wish I could do this for a career. And the fact is, you can. You just got to figure out how to make it pay for your living expenses. And, and if you don't believe Elliot keep listening over the next few weeks because we have some people coming in that I think really prove this. You know, uh, Whatever it is you're interested in, it, there's almost certainly a way to monetize it because um, if you're interested in it, then someone else is uh, almost, almost for certain. And the beauty of the internet, especially in 2020, is it, it's not hard to find those people. Um, like Elliot talked about with, with advertising way, you know, way back at the beginning of the conversation. Um, there are tools now to to find and target and deliver content to people with very niche interests. And whatever your interest is, um, there's almost certainly a way to monetize it, and, and we're going to look at some of those ways in the, in the coming weeks. Um, I want to get back to Elliot. So we've talked a lot about your work, and it's exciting and interesting, but let's get to the, the better part of your life. Talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing the last couple of years of your life. Sure. Yeah, it's a um, interesting kind of narrative because I think the best way to contextualize it is taking it back to, uh, again, back in college, I had a close family member pass who was always someone who was very inspiring to me. Um, he started his career in Hollywood, similar to me, and uh, that's kind of where the similarities end, though. He spent almost a decade here at a big Hollywood agency, working his way up from the mailroom all the way up to uh, being an agent, a Hollywood agent. I mean, we used to watch VHS tapes of him and Matt Damon in the lobby of the agency, just like screwing around playing pranks on people. They would hide a camera and uh, like do all sorts of stuff down in the lobby as people would walk in. It was the funniest thing to me. It's because at the time, Matt Damon was nobody and they were just buddies running around Hollywood. So... He burnt out on it and uh, moved back east and it's, got it's another tough, job. It's tough work pranking people with Matt Damon. It's super. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it sounds glamorous and all, but he was sitting at a desk all day. Sure. And making phone calls and getting yelled at as a junior agent. And, uh, you know, it's, it wasn't the best lifestyle. So he moved into another corporate job and did that for another 10 years and then uh, unfortunately passed from, from cancer pretty pretty young and he always would talk about doing different things that he was so excited to do he got a scuba diving license he bought a little plot of land to uh mine for gold to pan for gold out in california <laughs> he always wanted to go hunting for treasure underwater uh and that's where the scuba diving comes in all of these you know kind of business ideas that he wanted to start and trips he wanted to go on and never got around adventures, to it. Adventures, always right? just so many adventures. Adventures, yeah. But always, you know, I would ask him, "Why don't you go? Why don't you go?" It wasn't a financial holdup. He just said, "You know, work's too busy. I can't go." And then he was, uh, you know, diagnosed with late stage pancreatic cancer, and he had a really good fight with it, but ended up passing away sadly. And that was the first time it really hit me. I remember sitting in a restaurant with him, and uh, he gave me a really good piece of advice that just stuck with me. That was stay curious yeah. and that's kind of always uh always stayed with me as something that's been a guiding principle in my life because it's so easy to get kind of comfortable and stay in the same uh rhythm that you're stuck in uh, day in day out year in year out 
And all of a sudden you wake up and, you know, I can't speak from personal experience because of my age, but 20 years have passed and all of a sudden you are in the same place you were 20 years ago. So that all just ties back to the stay curious principle of uh, my, I graduated from school and spent uh, about a year and a half, two years in a traditional agency job. And by all accounts, it was fantastic. I had a great role, a good salary, great coworkers. It was in, uh, you know, the west side of LA, lots of stuff to do, awesome roommates, life was good. But I just couldn't, I was so tired of having to sit at that desk every day and kind of stare out the three panes of windows. We were in a WeWork, so there was like all these glass everywhere and couldn't even really see out the window. And I just was thinking to myself every day, you know, I can be doing this work from anywhere. Why do I have to sit here at this desk? Everything I'm doing is on this computer. And I just come in every day and I sit at the desk and I do it and then I leave. And then I started bringing in work for that company and uh, bringing on new clients and having new conversations. And it kind of hit me like, well, not only can I do this work from anywhere, but I know how to get the work now and I know how to execute on the work. So why am I doing the work for (laughs) somebody else where I don't want to be? And uh, so that's, that's kind of where I decided to leave. And so I think this is rambling a little bit from your question, but that tying back to the curiosity, the stay curious advice, uh, it was really scary to leave because again, it was traditionally exactly where I was quote supposed to be. And uh, I had things really good and I could have seen myself staying there for five or 10 years, but I was curious kind of what was out there, what more uh, I could discover and what, what was out there in the world. I grew up kind of, moving all over the place and had a fantastic, really uh, privileged, lucky experience to see a little bit of North America, but had really never gone beyond that. And so um, decided to do everything I could to build a business that could be run from anywhere in the world. And that's where I am today. I've spent the last 18 months uh, traveling all over the world to, I was on every continent in 2019, except for Antarctica and uh, flew just under, I think, a quarter million miles over the course of the year. So it was a really wild year. It was all over the place, and people thought I was on vacation all the time, but in reality, I was still working, you know, 40-hour weeks, just uh, was sitting in a cafe in Lisbon or from uh, WeWork in Tokyo instead of um, in my office in L.A. Elliot and I were in Lisbon, and we went out with some friends, and uh, Elliot was smart and went home. Uh, earlier than I did, <laughs> which isn't uh, you know that much of an accomplishment to go home earlier than I do. Um, and I got up in the morning to go down and get coffee and some sort of juice <clears throat> device uh, or something. And uh, sure enough, Elliot's sitting, and uh, your 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 shirt looked freshly laundered and pressed, and <laughs> your eyes were bright. And I mean, it had to be nine thirty in the morning after us being out the last day of what summit till God knows what. And um, there you were. You were working. You were sending emails. You were, you were cranking on it. Um, and I, so yeah, I so. need to take that audio clip and send it to all of my friends who think I just sit on the beach all day and surf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's with this lifestyle. That's that's part of it, right? Is some days you do sit on the beach and surf. Right. Uh, sometimes you get to do that on on Tuesday at, at two p.m. Um, but sometimes you <laughs> go out drinking all night, and you got to get up, and you got to be cranking again at nine in the morning. It doesn't matter. 
you know, where you are, who you're with, what you've been doing. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so well, I have that. I, I, I think that also just goes to say that when you don't have a boss, it's super easy to, in my experience, you, no one's telling you what to do. Yeah. I mean, you theoretically can sit around all day and drink if you want or eat Cheetos or whatever it might be, chocolate chip cookies, uh, personal favorite. But um, <laughs> if you aren't motivated and don't love what you're doing, like if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, if it's to make money or to, you know, take photos on Instagram to show your friends what you're doing, but you don't love the work that you're doing or the result of the lifestyle that comes from it, it's going to be a lot harder to be successful because of being in it for the wrong reasons. And so you were talking about uh, that morning. I remember that morning so well, and I was so excited because the reason I was up is I was jumping on a call with a new prospective client I was really excited about. And that was the motivation to, you know, go home, get out of bed, go take the call because I was looking forward to it. And I think that's another important aspect to touch on briefly. And that's one of the things about this kind of work is that there there are elements that um, that are really, really rewarding and fulfilling when it's you and when it's on your own that, that maybe aren't as much, aren't as exciting when it's for someone else. Um, when I worked at Google and, and had clients, yeah, making them happy, you know, felt good from an interpersonal perspective because I, I liked these people. Um, but one quarter at Google, I made the company through my projects, something like $35 million. And that's a really big number, and it meant absolutely nothing to me. But when I'm able to close a project that's even just a couple thousand, just a couple thousand dollars that, you know, it's going to take a week or two of putting together something real quick for for a client, maybe they're an existing client or something, and it's just something that's going to be cranked out, quick, small amount, that $1,000 means so much every time you make it. Um, and getting on a call with a prospective client is so fun every time because it's, it's opportunity. It's someone new that you get to meet. You get to talk about the work that you do. You get to talk about the, the work that you've done that you, that you're proud of. Um, and so that's, that's another thing about this that you can talk a lot about traveling around and, and spending time on beaches. And, you know, I'm, I'm fond of that too. But, but one of the things that, that is harder to get across is, is the thrill of being on a, on a prospective sales call when it's your business. And everything is on the line because that yes. paycheck is only going to come whether or not you close the deal. Um, quickly before we end, a couple of things that I want to touch on is just there are, there are highs and there are lows to entrepreneurship. And sometimes you don't close that deal. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But there's tons of failure and uh, things that I've challenged in my head through the almost two years I've been at this. Uh, Sustainability. I mean, you and I are in different positions. You have kids and a family, and uh, I consider whether or not like I want to be doing what I'm doing long term. Uh, there's a lot of loneliness in the sense that as a solo entrepreneur, or even as somebody with a business partner, you don't have the same kind of office vibe, especially if you're traveling all the time as I do. Uh, you get to meet a lot of incredible people, but those aren't relationships that you can physically maintain over the course of years because you're in different places. And then there's the benefits of, you know, uh, meeting a lot of, as I said, meeting a lot of incredible people, some with like-minded interests and others with brand new perspectives that you get to be exposed to, which is incredible. I remember waking up uh, one morning, I was in Amsterdam and uh, 
I think it was a weekend and I just, I woke up really early in the morning, couldn't sleep. And it just hit me. Like I'd been at this for three weeks. I had left my job three weeks ago. It was, I don't know, early 2019. And I was like, this is real. I have X amount of time that I need to make this happen. And it was terrifying. And that was kind of the first fire that got lit under me. And from from there on, it was just kind of kept burning. And I think since then, there have been so many really exciting, unique moments of driving through the Moroccan desert when I was working on my laptop in the back of the car and somehow had... I remember so clearly testing the Wi-Fi speed. It was 100 megabits per second driving through the Moroccan desert faster than my WeWork in Los Angeles yeah. or winning a big project bid for KLM Airlines in uh, the Netherlands. And those are just those high of high moments that you remember so fondly. But I just think it's also so important to remember that you will have low moments. Yeah. Things will start slow. It was months for me to get my first own real client. Um, I had dozens of people hang up the phone in my face, yell at me over the phone. Why are you, why are you emailing me? Why are you talking to me? Who are you? I don't need this. And it's hard. You know, there are lots of difficult moments that you'll endure, but those highs also really pay, make it worth it because there's so much that I've gotten out of uh, my entrepreneurial journey in terms of personal learnings, personal growth, and wonderful experiences and people that I've met uh, that just make it so worth it. Well, I can't think of a better place to stop than that. So thank you so much, Elliot, for taking the time to talk with me today. And um, to everyone listening, this is our our last uh, internal episode. And starting next week, uh, we'll be having our first guest on. So um, we're talking to a couple of people in the next couple of weeks. We're not sure who's going to be first, but um, we'll definitely let you know. Um, please join the mailing list uh, so that we can send you an email when it's ready or feel free to subscribe on, on whatever your favorite podcast app is if you use one of those. Yeah, and I think uh, just before we wrap things up super briefly, I'd, I'd encourage people to reach out because that yes. is one of the really unique parts of entrepreneurship. Reach out to James, reach out to me, uh, ask questions, and we're happy to connect to you as best we can because uh, it it is such an interesting journey to be on, unlike anything else. And there's no, there's no YouTube video to go watch of how to make this work or how to fix this. There are a lot of YouTube videos, but there's not going to be <laughs> one size fits all solutions. So what a lot of it comes down to is those human touch points, those human connections of people who have been on similar paths and can help you explore that journey um, based on learned experience. So reach out and we'd love to hear from you. And you never know which one of those relationships or which conversation is going to be the one that, that triggers some spark that starts you down some path that you hadn't thought before. Um, I had been playing with this podcast for well, probably for years, to be honest. And then um, I was working on actually getting it started. And then Elliot and I were checking in on a different business idea, just having a phone call to check in on that. And I threw it out there to him. Hey, do you want to, do you want to start this podcast? And Elliot jumped right on it. Um, and we pretty much started working immediately on it. And that conversation for me, even though it was my my podcast that I had this, you know, always wanted to work on, if I hadn't had that conversation at that moment and hadn't asked Elliot in that moment, I wouldn't have been on this path either. Um, and so especially if you're doing the travel thing, it's super important to reach out to, to, to people, to, to friends, to peers, have those conversations, talk about your ideas, talk about your problems, um, and, and, and start that conversation. 
Love it. Hey, this has been really fun. Thanks so much, James. And, Thank you. Uh, we will see everyone, hopefully, if I didn't bore you enough, next week. Thanks, everyone.